0: God gives specific territories and spaces to the tribes of Israel. Now, this is absolutely fascinating. Of course, the Levites weren't given that, but it's interesting as we read it from Joshua chapter 14 to 15 today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry.
1: I'm Janice. And this
0: is Bible Discovery as we discover the Word of God, the 66 books written by the 40 authors over several thousand years. It's very, very interesting. And Corey and Ryan are here today. Corey?
2: Today, I'm going to be taking a look at pottery, which was an integral life of the people that we are reading about in the Bible today. Ryan?
3: Today, I want to talk about the land that Jacob and his people, Israel, inherited versus the land that Esau and his people, the Edomites, inherited.
0: All right, they're coming up in about 15 minutes' time, Janice. Today,
3: let your light shine.
0: So take your Bible guide and get it out. She's coming up in about 16 minutes. I'm going to be speaking on this in about three minutes, so this is a good time to get focused on God's Word.
1: Joshua 15, 1 through 12. So this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. The border of Edom, at the wilderness of Zin southward, was the extreme southern boundary. And their southern border began at the shore of the Salt Sea from the bay that faces southward. Then it went out to the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim, passed along to Zin, ascended on the south side of Kadesh Barnea, passed along to Hezron, went up to Adar, and went around to Carkeah. From there it passed toward Asmon and went out to the brook of Egypt, and the border ended at the sea. This shall be your southern border. The east border was the Salt Sea as far as the mouth of the Jordan. And the border on the northern quarter began at the bay of the sea at the mouth of the Jordan. The border went up to Beth-Hogla, and passed north of Beth-Arabah. And the border went up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. Then the border went up toward Deber, from the valley of Achor, and it turned northward toward Gilgal, which is before the ascent of Edumim which is on the south side of the valley. The border continued toward the waters of En Shemesh and ended at En Rogel. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom to the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. The border went up to the top of the mountain that lies before the valley of Hinnom westward, which is at the end of the valley of Rephaim northward. Then the border went around from the top of the hill to the fountain of the water of Nephtoah, and extended to the cities of Mount Ephron. And the border went around to Biala, which is Kirjith-Jerim. Then the border turned westward from Biala to Mount Seir, passed along to the side of Mount Jerim on the north, which is Chesalon, went down to Beth Shemesh and passed on to Timnah and the border went out to the side of Ekron northward. Then the border went around to Shikron, passed along to Mount Baalah, and extended to Jabnil. And the border ended at the sea. The west border was the coastline of the great sea. This is the boundary of the children of Judah all around according to their families. Joshua chapter 15 verses one through
0: 12. You know, it's interesting today we study Judah and that is the tribe of Judah. Now there were 12 tribes marked out for designation of the property of Israel uh, several thousand years ago. And it's interesting because Judah is a fascinating place. In other words, the tribe had land allotted to it. Now, we're going to do our best to read it today. It's going to be hard, some of these names, but we're going to do our best. And in reading today, we are given the borders of the tribe territory of Judah. Now, we already know from the census taken back in Numbers chapter 26, that the tribe of Judah was the largest Israelite tribe. Moses also has given us the backstory of the tribe's founder in Genesis. And this is of great interest to us because it's from the tribe of Judah that many famous men would come. King David is one of them in the line of Judah's kings. But eventually, Yeshua HaMashiach, that is, Jesus the Christ, would come from the line of Judah. Of course, he was fathered by God himself. The only tribe south of Judah in the land of Israel was Simeon. But Simeon seems to have been absorbed into the tribe of Judah early in Israel's history. The side borders of Judah were both seas, the Dead Sea to the east and the Mediterranean Sea to the west. The city of Jerusalem marked the northern border of Judah, but the city was taken by Israel or Judah until the time of David. And that's important. It was actually David who took it. Do you remember that story? We're going to get to it in the future. When David said, when they, they mocked David and they said, well, even the blind and the lame uh, could keep David out and they couldn't. And so very, very interesting. Now, as we read this, we need to pay attention to it. So take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. This is Joshua chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible guide, call us or write to us and we will send you one. Or you can go to Bible Discovery TV. When you go there, click on the Bible guide and it'll take you to a page where you can uh, give to us. And and thank you for giving. We appreciate that. But you can download it exactly how we have printed it. It is absolutely wonderful. Let's pray today and ask God to teach us his ways and show us his paths. Father, as we open up Joshua chapter 15 and read these first 12 verses, help us to hear what the Holy Spirit says, because this is important to know. And Father, we pray, even though I may mix up some of the names and may not get them right, still, Lord, we understand that it's the point that you're giving assigned territories to this tribe. So help us to read from it, not read into it. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen and amen. Now, with that in mind, let's turn our hearts towards Joshua chapter 15. And it says this. So this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. The border of Edom in the wilderness of Zin, southward was the extreme southern boundary. And their southern border began at the shore of the Salt Sea from the bay that faces southward. And then it went out to the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim, a past along Zin attended to the south side of Kadesh Barnea, passed along to Hezron, went up to Adar and went around to Karkah. From there it passed towards Asmon and went out to the brook of Egypt and the border ended at the sea. This shall be your southern border. The east border was the Salt Sea as far as the mouth of the Jordan. And the border of the northern quarter began at the bay of the sea of the mouth of Jordan. The border went up to beth hagla and passed north of beth ereba And the border went to the stone of Bohan and the son of Reuben. Isn't that interesting? Now that gives me this point. As I read this, I understand that God gave specific territories and spaces to the tribes of Israel. Listen carefully as we apply this today as Christ followers or Christians. Each of us in our lives have specific callings and we are responsible for those callings. Now, this is important because we say many in the West, well, we live in a free world. We can do whatever we want. Well, okay, we live in a free world and God has given us as we've come to know the Lord responsibilities to touch people, to talk to people, to help people. Responsible speech, not free speech, responsible speech. That's something that we've lost track of, haven't we? We need to be responsible for how we talk to people and how we speak to them. Now, that doesn't mean we have to go in with all the woke nonsense, but that simply means we have to be responsible for how we treat each other. And God gives us responsibilities in our lives. We need to pay attention to that. Let's go on because verse 7 is very interesting. Here's what it says. Then the border went up towards Deber from the valley of Akor, and it turned northward to Gilgal, which is before the ascent of Adumamum, which is on the south side of the valley. The border continued towards the waters of En-Shemesh and ended at en Rajul. And the border went up from the valley of the son of Hinnom to the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. And the border went up to the top of the mountains that lies before the valley of Hinnom westward, which is at the end of the valley of Rephia northward. Now, again, as I read this, it's interesting. Jerusalem was not originally included in the boundaries of Judah christians take responsibility for where god has placed them now in time let's understand that our responsibilities as a believer in jesus christ is to do what god assigns to us each and every day daily we must follow the will of god daily we must understand what his will is and do it that's what god was telling israel and that's what god speaks to us today as followers of jesus christ isn't that interesting Now then, let's go back to the scripture, because this is interesting, beginning with verse 9. Here is what the Bible says. Then the border went around from the top of the hill to the fountain of the water of Nephatoah, extended to the cities of Mount Ephron. And the border went around to Bala, which is Kererath-Jerim. And then the border turned westward from Bala to Mount Seir passed along the side of Mount Jerim on the north, which is Cheslon, went down to Beth Shemesh and passed to Timah. And the border went out to the side of Ekron northward. Then the border went around to Shikron, passed along to Mount Bala, and extended to Jabneel. The border ended at the sea. The west border was the coastline of the great sea. And this is the boundary of the children of Judah all around according to their families. Which brings me to this point. God has given each of us important responsibilities in our assignments. Christians know that God's kingdom is built through our obedience to the Lord. Christians understand that God's kingdom is built because we have been obedient to the Lord. So today, may we pray and ask God, Lord, help us to be obedient to you in the name of Jesus Christ.
3: Alright, so our reading assignment today is Joshua chapters 14 and 15, and these chapters are part of a larger section in Joshua that document the geographical inheritance of the patriarch Jacob's descendants, the Israelites. And this has been a long time coming. We've been reading about God's promise that Israel would inherit Canaan since Genesis. But in Joshua 15, we're reminded about another geographical prophecy, one given to Jacob's older brother Esau. And notice how Joshua 15 verse 1 records that Israel's land extended right to the border of Edom, which was Esau's territory. This Joshua passage shows that there is a distinction between the land of Jacob and the land of Esau, and this goes back to Genesis chapter 24. Take a look. Mm -hmm. With failing vision, the elderly Isaac inadvertently blesses his younger son Jacob rather than the intended recipient Esau, his firstborn. And he declares over him first a promise of agricultural prosperity. May God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. And then a promise of lordship. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. And finally, to connect this patriarchal blessing with the Abrahamic covenant, Isaac declares, Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who blessed you. When Esau learns that all of this has been promised to Jacob, he bitterly wails and laments, and demands a blessing from his father. While there is a blessing given to Esau at this point, and while the first part of it appears to be identical to Jacob's blessing in some translations of the Bible, it is in fact the opposite of what was promised to his younger brother. For example, a few English translations of the Bible render the Hebrew in the following verse this way, Behold, Esau, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. But the grammatical elements present in the Hebrew text means it should be read this way, Behold, your dwelling shall be away from the fatness of the earth, and away from the dew of heaven. So, since Esau's place is away from this and away from that, Esau will not inherit the land. Whatever his blessing, it will be away from the land. He will not be the inheritor of it. Jacob will be. Isaac then continues his blessing of Esau and makes three specific prophecies regarding his nation Edom. The first is, by your sword you shall live. In other words, he will sustain himself by plunder and he will live the life of a marauding, dwelling nation. One example of the fulfillment of this is in Numbers chapter 20. The second prophecy is, and you shall serve your brother Jacob. This also came to pass since Edom was defeated by Saul and then subjugated by David. There was also a failed revolt under Solomon. Edom did rebel against Joram but was subdued again by Amaziah. The third prophecy Jacob made was, And it shall come to pass, when you become restless, that you shall break his yoke from your neck. As previously mentioned, this break happened first under Joram and then under Ahaz. In subsequent history, when the Jews went into Babylonian captivity, the Edomites left their territory at Mount Seir in the Transjordan and moved to the southern part of Judah, where they became known as Idumeans. In addition, later these Idumeans were conquered by one of the descendants of the Maccabees, John Hyrcanos, who conquered them in 129 BC, forcibly converted them to Judaism, and then incorporated Idumea into the Jewish-Judean state. Eventually, these converted Idumeans produced the dynastic rule of the house of Herod. So the divine prophecies given through Isaac to his sons Jacob and Esau came to pass. Jacob would inherit the promised land and Esau would not. His inheritance would be away from the land, and that's precisely what happened. And we're seeing it play out here in Joshua as the promised land is being divvied up between the tribes of Israel. The tribes of Jacob.
0: You know, this is fascinating because there's so much involved here um, with the tribes and the divvying up and all of that. It's going to break down into two nations later on, mm-hmm. Israel and Judah, and then it's going to be dissolved altogether. But then it comes back in 1948. Now, this is a fascinating history that we're studying. So it's very good. Thank you, Ryan. Corey?
2: Well, I'm going to be talking about something that united all of the people, and not just Israel, but the people groups around them as well, and that is pottery, this, 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 you know, this natural resource or taking the idea of taking a natural resource and crafting it into something that is inherently useful and becomes necessary in our everyday lives. Now, the Bible uses pottery in a really interesting way. It is a part of everyone's life. And so it utilizes this as a really interesting image. Take a look. A very natural association is made in the Bible between God and the professional potter. The biblical belief of God creating man from the dirt of the ground mimicked the creative act of the potter, who, after sourcing the natural clay, then formed and fired it to make a useful thing. This creative comparison between potters and God is made in biblical books, like Job, coming from the mouth of Elihu, I am just like you before God, I was also pinched off from a piece of clay. And Jeremiah, coming from the mouth of God, just like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, house of Israel." The craft of forming and firing pottery is extremely ancient. The raw clay was either dug from the ground or settled out of clay sediment-rich waters, depending on where you were in the world. The clay would then be hand-cleared of any impurities, like stones or sticks, mixed with water to the perfect consistency and kneaded by foot in large piles to rid it of air bubbles and achieve good forming texture. The potter would then form his vessels. There were several ways to do this. By hand and with scrapers and sticks to beat while using mats or wheels to turn, and or holes in the ground to help shape the clay. During the biblical time period, potters in the ancient Middle East generally used wheels, some turned by apprentices for the potter and others turned by the foot of the potter himself. Once a vessel was just the way the potter wanted, it was pinched off of the wheel by hand or string and set aside to dry for several days, leaving a leathery type of vessel. Then it would be fired in a kiln. In some other societies, clay was sometimes fired in open fires. But in the biblical Levant, many remains of permanent kilns have been found that show this was the preferred and most often used method there. These permanent kilns were composed of a firebox underneath that would be tended by the potter. And above the firebox, pottery could be stacked in the enclosed kiln and baked until perfectly durable. Clay pottery was economical and tremendously useful to ancient man. And today, it helps the modern archaeologist assign dates to excavation sites. So there we go. I always think it's really interesting how the Bible chooses to communicate. And it communicates in a way... That is at the same time very advanced and very simple. Uh, so it's we can understand the initial concept, and then the more we think about it, the more we're able to understand. So uh, it's a it's a pretty amazing thing, and, and and this is one of the reasons why it's so important to pay attention to the details of the scripture.
0: I think it's also very fascinating because if you were if you were to extrapolate time in uh, in front of us, and say you know five hundred or six hundred years from now, what would they look back on our society today and find? Uh, they may not find very much or whatever they find would be erased or whatever. But if you look back at the ancients, you have pottery and all of their stuff written on it. God has preserved it in amazing ways and, and there, rocks and everything yeah, else. And there is mm-hmm.
2: like, to be fair, most of it we have lost, but the things that we do find tell such an interesting story.
0: That's because I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, uh, and you know, I mean, that's like when, for example, we we the inscriptions from the kings and all that they were, and because Jerusalem was burned, they were mm. preserved in the fire.
2: Oh yes, yeah, so you're talking about the seals, the, the, thing yeah, the seals, and, yeah. and the you bullies. know, you,
0: I mean, what in the world? So the the destruction of Israel actually was God's preservation.
2: In a very way, in a way, it was it was judgment. So it yeah. was a destruction of God, but it also preserved for future generations the reality of that generation. In
0: fact, it did, right. and we yeah. we've learned that today. Very good. Okay, Janice.
2: Yes. Well, it, taking a look at
1: Joshua chapter fifteen, we see the divisions of the land. We we read the details, very very intense details, and and it it just reminds me, it reminds us again that God is a God of details, and He makes sure that it's written down so that we can know what He has said and what He has done. And I think it's just so important. I called my segment today, Let Your Light Shine, because as I was thinking about this and seeing the details, and we're going to see that as we read through these books in the Old Testament, detail after detail after detail, that God is involved in the details not only here, but in our very lives also. When we commit our lives to follow Him, God is immensely and intensely involved with the things that we do. And so let your light shine. I spoke about it a little bit yesterday when we were talking about Joshua, when he was old and advanced in age and and that maybe he had hoped that God would just say, well, you're old and advanced, so you just take it easy. I'll find somebody else to do your job. But he didn't. And, And how that we can be involved right from a very young age all the way up until God takes us home in the assignments that God has given us, especially to do what he says in the Great Commission, and that is to to go out and make disciples and baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but to tell people our testimonies, tell people how God has changed our lives. Those are the things that we can do. God places us. He has placed us in this time. I Rod, I've heard you mention that Uh, You know, time and time again, where it's very exciting because uh, there's a lot of things happening in our world right now and going on around us and and things that we had been told as young people um, from the Bible. That we really didn't think we would ever see. No. And we are living it every day. And, and so many times we'll be watching the news and we just look at each other yes. and just, we're, we don't have any words. We're just shrugging our, our shoulders.
0: Because we've heard this before. Because we've
1: heard it before, but now we're seeing it. And, and, and what an opportunity it is for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to share with our neighbors, to share with our community, to share with those at work what God has done. And sometimes it's not about the things that we say. A lot of times it's how we live that makes, it's because words are easy, right? And we see words all the time, we get this, we get that on social media, but it's actually how we live that makes more of an impression. Or if we say something, then we need to, actually do that. We need to be accountable for our words. We need to be accountable for our actions. When we come to give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, that means we follow Him. We become a reflection to the world around us of who He is. That's a heavy responsibility. It's a burden that the Lord Jesus carries. His burden is easy, but we have to discipline ourselves to then not only be in his word, and pray and spend time with God, but to get it so deep into our hearts that it's like breathing for us. We know then how we can best articulate ourselves or when to be quiet or when to move. Let your light shine. Sometimes it's just being that smile to someone. Sometimes it's praying with somebody on the spot. God loves you and God loves the people that he has put around you. So wherever you are, whatever your job is, wherever God has placed you, whatever community, wherever, let your light shine. Let, let your life be a reflection of the love of God.
0: You know, a lot of people are very uh, upset with Iran and all of that, I understand that. And, uh, but let's remember something. I read a report from a missions organization that's reporting and, and doing investigation. And there are now 5 million Christians who have received Jesus Christ as personal savior. Father, I thank you and help us Lord, proceed carefully to follow the will of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is what we say. Amen.